All right, good afternoon. All right, good, to, good to see each of you today. Thank you for coming to uh, worship the Lord, and we'll continue our worship here as we hear from his word. We have these three, one uh, section of our worship service is approaching God, where we confess sin, look at the cross. Second section, we focus on one aspect of glorification of our God, and then we are walking through uh, lesson three of 15 on um, the life of Christ. Okay, so we're going to jump into that in just a second, into Matthew. But let's uh, review our memory verse before we do Psalm 119.1. Could you read this out loud with me? And we're going to read it twice, and then next Sunday will be our last Sunday reviewing. So I hope that you'll have it memorized by then. But let's all read out loud together Psalm 119.1. How blessed are those whose way is who walk in the law of the Lord. Let's try it again. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. I find it helpful to picture that in your mind in some way, each little step, each little phrase, the first word of each phrase maybe uh, to help you remember that in your brain. Uh, But that will be our memory verse. Okay, the children can be dismissed. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. You're going to read about this really great guy, (laughs) Matthew 11, Um, Verse 7. Let's begin with verse 7, and then hopefully this will be loaded by then. Um, This is Jesus' summary of John's life. I I do find, as I look at this person, uh, John, this is is one that we we kind of get wrong perhaps more than others. Uh, Matthew... 11 verses 7 and following. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. All right, so here's not the gospel writer, John. This is John the Baptist, forerunner. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one that is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's quite a commendation from our Lord. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless uh, this word to our soul. And then we'll, we'll jump into the entire life, if we can, of, uh, of John the Baptist here. 
Lord, uh, thank you for your loving kindness to us that is better than life. Uh, Because of that, we will praise you. We will continue to praise you. Uh, We thank you that um, you forgive sin, that those who come uh, to the cross find a fountain that will cleanse. Lord, we come faith-believing, in in faith-believing and also repenting. Even today, we are continuing to repent of our sins. We are continuing to believe in the gospel. And I just pray that this would be um, indelibly marked uh, in our hearts today, but also in our lives, that we would have fruit that um, demonstrate our heart's repentance. Uh, Lord, we ask for your blessing on each person here in that way. Uh, I pray that your spirit would fill me, uh, Lord, How silly it would be to to speak without your power. Uh, For we know there is no spiritual worth in eloquence or in preparation uh, or in study if it's not upheld and moved forward, even um, blown forward as a wind in sail by your Spirit. So we ask, Spirit, that you would move in a special way in this room. Um, Even attend those who are watching online. And we pray that you would do spiritual work that would not just last for this hour, but that would last for eternity. And I I know that I'm asking this in faith, believing that you will, because you are merciful and gracious and even listen to the prayers of someone like me uh, because of the cross. And so I thank you. I pray that you would fill each person here and... Uh, May we all be ready to not just hear, but be doers of this, your word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's see. How are we here? Is it going to work? It is. Okay. Who is Jesus? Discovering the incomprehensible Christ. Lesson three. Lesson three. So last week was the birth and childhood of Jesus. And now we get to this really remarkable when you read it. This is very important, this forerunner of Jesus. All right, so we looked at this text already, read this text. Let's just want to give you the end uh, before the beginning as we look at this life. Um, You've heard it said, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, what? Absolutely, yeah. And so often in families... In communities, in countries, uh, in companies, when those in power are unchecked and hold full sway, uh, they abuse their power. Such was the time period in Jesus' day. Uh, And so we're going to look into one scene here that begins uh, our text but ends our story Um, In Jesus' day, people used their power and abused their power so that the rich were extremely rich, the poor were extremely poor, and the things that were done are way beyond PG-13, and I will try to clean it up uh, for our text today. You see in your notes there a remarkable scene. The place is a palace. I picture that in front of you. Uh, The people are a king, a queen, a princess, and a preacher. The scene goes like this. 
one of the most powerful people in Jesus' story, as I read it over and over throughout the weeks here, uh, had no title, had no position, had no money. He had given all that up, and yet he was the most powerful. And he was going up against two others that were the most powerful because of their position, because of the way they were born, because of their possessions, and they abused those things. In ivory palaces, we find them sitting literally. And so today we enter this huge palace built for one man with unlimited local power he could kill at will. He could take at will. He could do what he willed at will. Very prestigious. Raised in luxury his whole life. His dad had unlimited power and abused his power. You know his dad, Herod the Great, when he heard of a Messiah born in the Bethlehem region, he couldn't chase him down, so what did he do? He killed every young boy under two years of age. This is the kind of power. We can't think of that kind of power. This is filthiness, wickedness. It's his birthday party. And so this would be his son, uh, Herod the Great, divided into four regions, four co-regents, four of his sons. One of them, who would have reigned over Jesus' area when he was growing up, um, built this palace on the hillside. You see it here. This is fascinating. It's like 100 feet in the air. This would be a Really, a fortress, hard to get to. But the reason he built it there was not because of what was around. Nothing was around. It was total desert. But there were some warm springs. This guy liked his warm bath. And so because of that, he built there, they built this palace. And here he is. He has it for himself. He has a birthday party. Invites the richest, most powerful men in the land. As the party progresses, they become drunk. He becomes very drunk. In walks a young lady. The text states that she dances in the midst of them during his birthday party. At this spot pictured here. This is an artist rendering, but it would have been this spot pictured here. This would have been unusual for a young lady of her prestige. She's a princess. These are all drunk men gorging themselves with food. And so it would be unusual for her to risk herself, but also to go in that. But she's wanting to impress them. She has an agenda, and her mom has an agenda. And so she full knows what she's doing. It's even more sick to think of this as her stepdad and her uncle. He's drunk. He can't make decisions that are prudent. So I'm going to say this is a VeggieTales version of this. She comes in and she plays a kazoo for everyone. The dance is over. The whole crowd looks at Herod, wondering how he's going to respond. He cries out with this blank check statement. Matthew describes this for us. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. So much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked for. Mark adds up to half of his kingdom. Now he has a huge, this is big, this is big. And here it is not someone to be messed with. His family is not one, someone to be messed with. 
but someone has been messing with them. And it's a voice, a preacher, no power, except his voice. Um, we're going to develop that voice here in a little bit, but that voice was getting in, in the way of their plans because this young lady's dad had divorced his wife and this young lady's mom by birth had divorced her husband, who was this guy's brother. Okay, so there's incest here. In order to marry one another. And there was a voice that kept on saying, the texts each tell us, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And they did not want to hear that. Now, I could tweet that out about our politicians. I guarantee you, no one would care. <laughs> uh, but, but John had a voice. Um, he's described by Josephus as an eloquent voice. Uh, we have total wrong picture of John the Baptist. Um, John, and we're going to see what he looked like, what he was like. But, but this was a gifted individual who could sway crowds. Like, this is George Whitfield, right? This is uh, Spurgeon out there with crowds coming to hear and crowds swayed by the Spirit using the voice. And so, whatever you want, you can have. And this little girl gets up and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a plate. Silence. Awkward silence. Herod's shuffling in his throne seat. Probably laying down, actually. But he's shuffling, he's squirming, because his face is red, he knows He's afraid of John, the text says. He is afraid of John. Penniless, <laughs> positionless John and the people who follow him. But he's also afraid of his wife and all these nobles that he's invited. So what is he going to do? He throws John under the bus, who's actually imprisoned in that same palace. As they're lowering Herod's hefty body into the warm pools, they're lowering John the Baptist's strong, wiry body into prison. Powerful figure. What is he going to do? There's silences broken by Herod saying, go and do it. Mark describes it this way. I love Mark's pictures. It's like he's writing a comic book almost. He goes so quickly. Right? Uh, Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. I'm not going to go into the details there, but you can picture the young lady going to her mother with a head on a plate. And the mouth is stopped. The mouth that troubled her conscience is stopped. But the movement goes on. The message gets greater. Because the message is what you and I believe today. And here we are because of the preaching. A 
of John the Baptist. The forerunner's lifeless mouth is on the platter, but the message rolls on, and we continue to read it today. We're going to finish with that scene in just a minute, but first we're going to look at an overview of the life of John. Um, uh, you see it here at the bottom. This would be the, the actually the life of Jesus here is in blue. The life of John the Baptist is shorter than that. Um, here we find him born six months before Jesus and dying before Jesus. Um, a year after uh, Jesus' baptism. So we're going to survey an overview of his life real quick, and we're going to spend most of our time on that, and then we're going to give a little bit of time to the two big ideas from his life, and then a little bit of time to an application to us from his life. Okay, so that's where we're headed with this, um, the life of John the Baptist. Okay, let me first of all jump into an overview. Um, we're going to divide it into four different big sections. That's in your notes there. Actually, I, I enjoy doing this. I'm doing this chart for any of you who want it, I'm actually doing it with the text, uh, all the verses, and not just the references. And it's helpful for me to, to see all the verses from like three or four different. Um, you know, these a lot of folks have done this before, so I'm kind of surveying three or four of them, putting them together. Uh, and uh, and here's the life of John the Baptist: his birth, his ministry, his imprisonment, and his death. You see that only Luke describes his birth. Uh, but it's important, he gives 75 verses to it. Uh, and then each one of them, just about, s- describe all these things about John. This is a lot given to us about John the Baptist. We know very little about the, the disciples from the texts and their personal background. We really have to gather information, but we know a whole lot about John the Baptist. Okay, so let's just dive into this and survey each of these. We'll look at a few verses. First of all, his birth. Um, we, we find uh, some prophetic parents um, and a prophetic pregnancy. Uh, prophetic parents, uh, his mom Elizabeth was past childbearing years, um, similar to many ladies that we read about in the Bible. And, and God gives her the ability to have a son. Luke 1, the angel shares this with Zacharias, a priest, says, your son will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is Luke 1.15. He will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. If you are wondering when life began, right? In the mother's womb, there is a personality that can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so these, and we're not going to go all the details, but these parents both prophesy about this, this, their child. I love the prophetic pregnancy, and I'm not going to go in, into all the details there because we've talked about it before, but you do remember that Mary, uh, who's expecting Jesus, by virgin birth, right, uh, virgin conception, it visits Elizabeth, the mom of John the Baptist. And what happens when they first meet these two babies in the womb? What does John the Baptist, who is months older, I think five months older, what does he do when he meets? He jumps in the womb, right? That's the one. 
He's already pointing to Jesus from the womb. And so this is a prophetic pregnancy. It's amazing. And Elizabeth bows down to Jesus in Mary's womb. Imagine that. Now there is a Bible-driven young lady, old lady, older lady, because she knows her Bible. She knows what's going on and knows who this Lord is. Okay, we got to keep moving here. Um, But in that, she says, to shine upon those who sit in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child, this is where I'm going to get to, verse 80. uh, The child, John the Baptist, continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. All right, so that's what we know about John the Baptist by his birth. His ministry is, uh, we see a rising to prominence. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And then his primary mission, okay? Um, Rise to prominence here. Uh, As is written Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one, this is Mark 1. Okay, so I like Mark's description because he gets right to it. Uh, And just really, like you can read Mark in one sitting very easily. As it is written Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. All the people of Jerusalem, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. Okay, so that's generally speaking what the texts say about John the Baptist as he's being presented to Israel. Some fascinating information. Okay? Um, I'm going to just dive into a few things there. Um, his description is that of desert dweller. He's a desert dweller. Okay? And this is one thing I think we get, get a little bit wrong about John. Um, uh, in fact, I have this here. This is, uh, I enjoy this. We read this as a family. This is uh, the Action Bible. And that's where that page is from. I think... Okay, I, maybe John looked like that, but usually when you see people describe John, it's kind of like this, like half insane, uh, almost like slobbering, uh, yikes, stay away from that like weird uncle type guy that no one's really t- paying attention to. That's not John, okay? Uh, now this guy worked for DC Comics and Marvel, so right, he likes the dramatic part of it. Um, but anyway... I don't think that John is this. This is the point of John. Now, he eats these bugs. Okay. So, like, I think maybe that's where it comes from. And he's dressed in camel's hair. Uh, But this was actually normal. Right? Those in that time, as they read that, they're like, oh, yes, he was living in the desert. They're not thinking, man, he's eating bugs. He's killing camels and wearing their hair. No, that was the normal dress for someone who lived in the desert. That was the normal food. Actually, it's a. I have one here. I'm going to, no, I'm not going to eat it. Um, th- this would be the normal food for them. He's, that's where they get protein. They, they boil them. All right, maybe we should try that next week. All right, I actually have the. We have our, our food sign up list. Make sure you sign up. Main dish, locusts. All right, dessert, wild honey. There you go. Um, if you can do it, I'll try it. Uh, this was just the normal protein. I'm just saying this. It wasn't like he was a weird guy. He, 
He was raised as a child in a wealthy family with everything provided for him. His dad was a priest, right? He knew about soft clothing. Um, This is what the point is. The point is, his childhood was very soft and cozy. But as he heard about the prophecies of his birth, as he read his scriptures and realized who he was, he left all that behind, right? This, this is what the point is, right? Here's a nice, soft... If I could wear these type of pajamas, right, every day, this would be great. Like, our culture can do this. We're wealthy enough to where we could all go around modestly in nice clothing like this. I don't know why we don't. Like, why do I have to wear this stuff, right? We have this, and it's cheap, right? It's not expensive. Anyway, John said no to soft clothing, and he wore camels because he's living in the wilderness. That's not going to hold up in the desert. The point is not he became a monk. That is not it. The point is not that he hated the city life. That is not the point. The point is this. He read his Bible and saw who he was and realized, I am the voice in the wilderness. I need to get out here and preach. And the Spirit so attended his ministry that it was amazing. And I, so I think we, we, get, we get it wrong when we think of a half-crazed man. Here's a man who knew what he was doing. He knew his Bible. And this is just how they lived out there. But he also knew how to live very softly and comfort, in comfort, like our culture, and he, he turned his back on that. So that's the point. His preaching was that of repentance. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, saying, repent. This is his message. His message is repent, turn. The word has the idea of of a change of mind, of of, of a a mindset, a heart change. But we do know that that heart change can't just be in the heart. It's a heart change that's true, that's real, that is demonstrated by fruit, by the fruit of a changed life. This is the same today, right? We're going to get to this in a minute, but this is essential. Repentance is essential. And so this desert dweller is preaching, you need to repent, soldiers. He's not afraid of these soldiers who have unlimited power. and can just kill them whenever you want. He says, listen, you guys have got to repent. Politicians, you need to repent. Common people, you need to repent. And he just goes through every aspect of that society of life and says, all of you are sinning against God. All of you are rebels. All of you need to prepare your hearts. Turn for God's kingdom has come. That message of repentance because because we want the king to come. Who is the king? Jesus, Messiah. Right? When, When Messiah comes, his kingdom comes. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is living. And we need to get ready. We need to clean our house up for him to come into our house. That's the point. I think it's really fascinating is that Jewish households still do this. They're waiting for Elijah to come, the forerunner of Messiah. In their Passover meal, they will actually leave an empty seat. They'll open the door and say, has Elijah come? And welcome Elijah to come and take a seat at the Seder. Right? Because we need to prepare our hearts for Elijah to come and then Messiah can come. 
In fact, a lot of these, even on the Forest Hills, right, 71st Street, on Jewish holidays, you have young men preaching, prepare the way. Prepare your heart. They don't realize the Messiah has come, but it's the same mindset of that day. Okay, the symbol was baptism, and I can't get into all this. We're going to spend a little bit more time on that next week with baptism and Jesus' baptism, but that was kind of the climax of John's ministry. But that was, that was the point. The point was, and this is the thing, that, like this was not odd. There were, there were dunking tanks everywhere where people would actually come in and baptize themselves when they were unclean. It was, the, it was this symbolic of, I'm unclean. I need someone to cleanse me. And so everybody's coming to John and saying, yes, John, I understand. I'm unclean. I'm sinful. I need to be forgiven. I'm confessing myself as a sinner. Look at his effectiveness. Everyone. See, this is why I say we have the wrong picture of John the Baptist as some raging lunatic you know, that, that ends up like with no followers. He ends up in prison for a year. That's why his voice was silenced. But all of Jerusalem, the texts say. All of Judea, the texts say. The Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to follow John the Baptist. That's how much power he had. And you know what he said? Who told you to repent? He wouldn't take it. They're just following the crowd. You bring me fruit for your repentance. Get rid of your soft clothes, guys. And they weren't ready to do that. And so they didn't follow him. His significance is that he is Elijah. He is this promised Elijah. The promised figure of Elijah. And so you find Elijah in the wilderness. You find Elijah being fed by the, by the wild. You find Elijah crying out to Ahab and Jezebel, telling them to repent. You find John the Baptist mirroring his steps. 2 Kings 1.8 says, describing Elijah, He was a hairy man with a leather girdle bound about his loins. And so we find John the Baptist mirroring. He's like, I am Elijah. I'm the Elijah who's the forerunner of Messiah. And so his primary mission then is pointing to that. And we're going to come to that in just a second. But pointing to Jesus. As Jesus comes forward into his public ministry, John the Baptist says, what does he say? He's been saying, repent, 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 repent of your sin. All of you are sinful. All of you are sinful. Jesus comes on the scene at his baptism and he says, finally, the solution. Yes, the Messiah, but behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can't take away your own sin. The baptism doesn't cleanse it. Jesus cleanses it. And so he points to Jesus. This is his entire ministry. It is a signpost saying, now the Lamb has come. And he takes his disciples and he sends them to Jesus. And he sits in a prison for the last year of his life before his head is severed from his body. This doesn't fit well with health and wealth preaching, right? But all of these people are going to give their lives. What a, what a glorious honor. We need to keep moving here. Um, and then he's, there's the imprisonment and death. I think it's fascinating. You know, if you look at all the texts together, um, during his imprisonment, 
Again, it's that, that in that cliff area, right? They still have, see the cells there where people were imprisoned. Most likely John the Baptist was in one of those for a year. He's here in the partying. He's here in Herod, maybe seeing him being carried off to luxury. And here he is, left to rot. One month, two months. He's just said, Messiah's here. Lamb of God is here. He's pointed to him. I'm the forerunner. When are you going to do it? (laughs) Five months. Six months. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about the end of the forerunner in the Old Testament. So I don't know what's going through John's mind, but we read that perhaps he starts questioning his position. So he sends a couple people to Jesus and says, am I wrong here? Like, I, I thought you were going to take down Herod. I thought you were going to take down this wicked king and set up your kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here. Yes, in the heart. And so he sends them to Jesus. When John was in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent his disciples and said, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And then Jesus says, tell them what I'm doing. And John knew his Bible. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Jesus says, don't stumble. Don't take offense. Keep on believing. The prophecies are being fulfilled. And John continues to believe. But, you know, we we could go into all these things. But, right, sometimes we struggle a little bit. Like, when God delays the answer to our prayer. Like, Lord, I thought, like... I didn't know that this is exact. This is exactly what I expected. Right? And he just says, okay, questions are good. Accusations, we don't go to him accusing, but we can question him. We find then his death, as I described there. Um, but he does have a happy ending, because John's doing really well. Um, the palace, the pool of warm baths. Nothing compared to where John is right now. So let's take, secondly here, just the big ideas, real quick here. The two big ideas. The, the, the first one is God's promised plan is beginning. And I love right just putting all the texts about John the Baptist in one Word document and just looking it all together. And what, it, what you do is you, what pops out at you is what everybody mentions. And this is what everybody mentions, that, that what God promised to do is now beginning. It's here. It's time. You've waited hundreds of years and now it's here. And so they all quote this text. And we need to turn there. If you have your Bible, turn over there. Um, I think we need to read several verses from this. Uh, so I have two of the texts printed here, but, but this one has like ten verses. So uh, turn over there and, and I'll read it for you. This is Isaiah 40. Uh, talking about comfort, about the iniquity being forgiven. Just listen to this. This is written 700 years before Jesus, over 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah 40. This is written before John the Baptist, and yet they knew their Bibles. They knew what God was doing here. Verse 3 of, John 4, of Isaiah 40. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. God is coming down. Prepare a way for him. 
And then he gives this picturesque language of what that would be like spiritually, if we talked about it physically. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, and let the rough ground become a plain. Let the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. What shall I call out? All, flat, all flesh is grass. Its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain. O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily. O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. And so John does that. Here is your God. Your God has come. The Son of God has come. The other texts say, prepare the way of the Lord. There's one other text there. Turn over to Malachi. Malachi 3, verse 1 and 2. This is the last text written in the Old Testament. Uh, from the prophet Malachi, God says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the new covenant, I'm putting the word new in there, in whom you delight, my son whom I'm well pleased. He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. It's interesting though, verse 2 kind of forecasts toward, toward the second coming. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller soap. You know, John the Baptist is thinking maybe that. The disciples are thinking maybe that. Here's our military king, but he's come to conquer our hearts. Where we all bow to him as Lord. And then if you're taking notes, I would also put in there uh, the, the next chapter of Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 5. These are the last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah. This is written hundreds of years before John the Baptist. Behold, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Old Testament ends. Waiting for Elijah. Waiting for Elijah. John the Baptist comes on the scene. Behold the good news. Good news. Repent. The kingdom, the king is here. The king comes on the scene. He baptizes him and says, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repent, turn from your sin, trust in him, follow him. Points to Jesus. And there Jesus begins his preaching and his baptism. And that's the life of John. Let's get to quick practical applications and we'll be through here. Um, First of all, if we could just think God's ways are rewarded in heaven. God's ways are rewarded in heaven. Uh, when we think of that early, you know, the early story with the banquet, 
Um, if you were to ask a bunch of people, hey, who do you want to be in this story? Okay, well, you know, Herod looks like he's doing pretty good. What I'd like us to just think about here is this is, uh, I don't know that I can do this, but if you just uh, consider, uh, um, I won't go back there, but, but the, the, the lifespan of John the Baptist, you know, Herod lives a little bit longer, and they start lowering his wicked bones into these hot springs, and he still rules with, with authority, but eventually he's actually deposed. Um, he dies. John the Baptist dies. We're still talking about John the Baptist. And, and they continue to live. They continue to exist. And if we keep drawing a line, you know, that ends around 27 to 32, you know, with, with both of them. But, but the rich man lifted up his hell, his eyes in hell and torment. Jesus describes that. Right? The, the man who ate grasshoppers and had a ministry of pointing people to Christ, he, for the last 2,000 years, these are real people with a real conscience, with, with an with a understanding that they exist. And one of them is being tortured because of rejecting the Messiah. And he had ample opportunity in his life. And one of them is resting in fullness of joy. And so we just need to recognize that following God's ways are rewarded not always in this life. Um, so maybe you're at work uh, because of your faith in Christ overlooked or not take it seriously, uh, per, perhaps because you won't do the things that others are doing. Right? This is a great lesson to learn. Right? This is not the end. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. But beyond that, even in this 27 years of life, or however long we live, we, we find very great purpose and power in pointing to Christ. This is a great reason to live. John had a proper view of himself compared to Christ. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. John had a proper view of Christ. He's the Lamb of God. I need to point to him. What does he say? He must increase, I must decrease. That was his life. But there was great joy in that. Let me, let me tell you, there was a lot greater joy in that than stuffing his mattress with cash, than pushing around people because he had climbed as the CEO. There, there, there was so much more joy in life in Christ. And that's true for us. That's the lesson for us. So let's, let's all repent. Right? What, what is it in your life that the Spirit has brought to your mind? You know what? I'm living in sin there. You need to repent of that, right? And it may be immorality. It may be uh, fudging your taxes. It may be like, like there may be, some, but it may just be a spirit of condescending on others. Maybe the Pharisaical spirit. We all need to re continue to be repenting 
and continue to be believing the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you've never done that for the first time. That's called regeneration. When, when, you, when you look at this message and you say, wow, that is, that is impossible that 700 years before Jesus came, that was prophesied. This message is true. This Jesus is true. Turn to him. Turn from your sin. And like John the Baptist, I plead with you to, to trust in the Lamb of God who can take away your sin. And then let all of us, by God's grace, live this different life. Maybe you have been born in a priestly line. Everything you have is like the jammies, right? Pajamas. So comfortable. Perhaps the Lord would call you to, to give up that, to follow Christ in a different way, in a special way. Be, let's be, all be open to that. What if uh, Bill Gates' son, I don't even know if he has a son. What if Bill Gates' son heard this and left his fortune to follow Christ? Gave it all up, uh, living in the desert to preach the gospel who had never known. That's exactly what William Borden did. Mazed the world when this multimillionaire graduated from high school. He was given a gift of touring the world. And he saw the needs uh, other places that didn't have Christ. And so he decided to give his life trying to reach Muslim nations in the desert for Christ. Age 18, started a prayer group at Yale. Uh, for students, by his senior year, that prayer group had gone from just him to a thousand of Yale's thirteen hundred students. Um, during that time, he would minister to the roughest places in the city, meeting people's needs with the gospel. Upon graduation, he went to Egypt to train uh, to reach uh, Muslim nations. He died at age twenty-five training. You may have heard the entries in his Bible. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I think if he would have lived his life in luxury um, to, to be 80, he, he probably wouldn't have got to it, ignoring God's calling. He probably would not have gotten to the end of that time and said the same thing. He left millions to missions. Even at that time, his heart was clearly about the work uh, of God. His, his, heart, his heart was about the work of God. And he followed the footsteps of John. Now, that's not for all of us. I realize that. But I do think all of us need to take stock and say, Lord, at what point today do I need to turn and follow you? What does that look like in my heart? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's do that. Let's follow in his footsteps with completely open hands. If you can't do that with an open hand, you haven't repented. An open heart. Hear that or you don't trust God. And I realize sometimes we don't trust God. Uh, sometimes we say, Lord, I'll do anything except that. Uh, we all need to say, Lord, I, I trust you. You love me. I'll do anything you want. I don't, it doesn't matter how big or small. Most of the time that means staying where you are, living like a light, being a Zacharias in the temple. 
But sometimes that means leaving the temple and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, by God's grace, I'm going to go to Iran. I'm going to give up my life, and I'm going to go to Iran, and I'm going to share the gospel. Like It may take me five years. Right, we all need to be ready, ready to do that. Let's all talk to the Lord uh, in closing prayer. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the back lobby. be happy to pray with you. Let's all respond to God's message in the life of John.